Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the Minnesota fishing opener. As the Tiger King craze begins to wane, the founder of a wildcat rescue operation in Minnesota sheds light on the fight to keep big cats out of the hands of private owners and breeders, and we get to know the new gopher softball coach. But first, the COVID-19 pandemic continued its hard hit on Minnesota's long-term care facilities, prompting renewed calls this week for stronger efforts to lessen its spread in congregate care settings. MNN's Bill Werner joins us for an update on that and other developments. Scott, State Senator Karen Housley noted 80% of Minnesota's COVID deaths are residents of such facilities, compared to an expected 50% in New York, 30% in Florida. State Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm responded that could be an apples-to-oranges comparison because unless other states were testing specifically for COVID in long-term care facilities, as Minnesota has done, they might have reported COVID deaths as something else. This particular illness and how similar it is to other respiratory illnesses, uh, influenza-like illnesses, flu, um, pneumonia. But Malcolm contends, regardless of statistical interpretations. That is in no way meaning to suggest that we don't think this is a serious issue and a serious opportunity for improvement. And late in the week, Governor Walls announced even if there's only one COVID case in a long-term care facility, Everyone will be tested there, a key part of what he calls a battle plan against the high number of coronavirus deaths in Minnesota congregate care facilities. This has been going on through all these weeks, but right now, and I think one of the things is, we're prepared um, to very much go on the offensive, and that is no small part because what of all of you have done. Also part of that plan, more frequent health screening of residents and staff in long-term care facilities, better supplies of personal protective equipment, and measures to ensure adequate staffing levels, even when health care workers are becoming ill with COVID. The governor announced this week he is allowing elective surgeries, medical, dental, and veterinary, to resume statewide, as long as providers have plans in place to monitor supplies of personal protective equipment, plus screen their patients and staff. This is a quality of life issue not putting off things that need to be treated because we're going to come out of this thing with worse problems health-wise that could have been prevented. Walls argues the state can reopen elective surgeries because we will have uh, ICU capacity and um, ventilator capacity that is raw numbers greater than Illinois with a population um, over uh, two and a half times bigger than us. But Rick Fuentes with the Minnesota Nurses Association says frontline medical personnel do not have enough personal protective equipment. N95 masks are supposed to be one and done. You use it, you throw it away, you don't carry it in between one patient room and another patient room. And yet that's exactly what we're doing in hospitals all across the state. Fuentes says two months ago, nurses would have been fined and disciplined by regulatory agencies for using PPE the way they are now. Let's make sure that before we're liberalizing these policies, that we are taking all the precautions that we have all the necessary equipment that we need. The governor responds. We think that with the decisions that have been made, the social distancing Minnesotans have done, our good handle on what the inventory is, that we're able to do this. A special economic forecast released this week shows COVID-19 turning what was Minnesota's $1.5 billion budget surplus into a $2.4 billion deficit. That $4 billion shift from black ink to red 
is the largest swing in the space of a few months since the record-keeping began back in the 1980s. Republicans say Minnesota government needs to do some serious belt tightening. The governor responds the state does need to take a very conservative approach, as he puts it, but he cautions lawmakers... It's in times like this that you can make an austerity mistake and cut the very things that will grow that economy, and then you end up staying at the bottom of that trough for a longer period of time. Walls continues pushing for a bonding bill for state public works projects. House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd said a bonding bill will not move forward unless the governor relinquishes his emergency executive authority because he's overstepped his bounds, Dowd contends. But Wall said this week it's more than likely that he will extend his emergency authority. Despite the burgeoning deficit, the governor is cautious about laying off or furloughing state employees. If you laid off every single worker we had, which meant there's nobody at the health department, there's nobody at the MMB, there's nobody in the schools, there's nobody plowing the roads, you'd save about 7% of the budget. Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka responded, it's not the right time, though, for a state employee pay raise to take effect July 1st. He says those contracts should be renegotiated. My hope, frankly, is that we allow the pay raise that was there last July and a freeze going forward. As Elka says, if the legislature does not approve that new contract, state employees' pay would revert to what it was before July 1st of last year, basically a pay cut. The Minnesota House this week passed a COVID-19 emergency package that includes $100 million in state assistance for renters, homeowners, and landlords, $27 million to improve broadband access, which International Falls Democrat Rob Eklund likes. We have made great strides in the past few years in broadband delivery. We have more to do, and this COVID-19 pandemic has shown that we are not quite there yet. Personal care attendants would get a temporary 15% pay increase, which Mankato Democrat Jack Considine called a disgrace. Not only is the raise woefully inadequate, But to add insult to injury, it's temporary. There's also $55 million for small business emergency loans, but Delano Republican Joe McDonald contends the real way to help is reopen Minnesota's economy. I can go up to Coburn's 10 times a day, be safe, but you can't go to a local mom-and-pop store? Does that make any sense, Minnesota? House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dodd contends the COVID aid package does not address the real problem. We can't borrow Minnesotans enough today to even cover the amount of taxes we're charging them on the money they're getting from the federal government. Dowd says the legislature needs to assert its authority, cancel the governor's executive orders, and reopen Minnesota's economy. This isn't Republican versus Democrat. This is about us doing our job. House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler responded, no amount of reopening will make Minnesotans gather at restaurants and sporting events. People are concerned. They are afraid, in fact, of the course of this disease. That is why three-quarters of Minnesotans supported the extension of the stay-at-home order. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Hi, Minnesota. Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules, wash your hands, cover your cough, don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat, they actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, 
but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Fishing opener is a Minnesota rite of spring, and of course the kickoff is this weekend. Anglers will be on the water to wet a line, reconnect with nature, and benefit from time spent outdoors. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. While the fishing opener is a time-honored tradition, the COVID-19 pandemic requires that Minnesotans approach the fishing opener differently this year. Joining me now is DNR Commissioner Sarah Stroman to talk about the feel of this year's opener. Commissioner, let's start with the new close-to-home guidelines. Yeah, absolutely. And as Minnesotans know, so many of our activities have uh, changed and we're doing them a little bit differently during the COVID-19 pandemic, and Fishing Opener is no exception to that. So first and foremost, uh, we are urging people to fish close to home, and uh, that ensures that we um, limit travel that could potentially spread the virus and and protect uh, Minnesotans who live in rural communities and may be uh, more vulnerable uh, to the virus, uh, particularly uh, folks who are older, some of our American Indian communities that have a higher incidence of underlying conditions. So it's really important that, that we think about, um, you know, everybody and, and staying close to home helps us do that. We've had a lot of questions about what close to home means, and so uh, we have some guidelines that anglers should follow to minimize the potential points of transmission. And those guidelines include no overnight stay, bringing all supplies with you, and only going as far as you can travel and return on a single tank of gas. If you think about the places that anglers usually stop, you know, it's not just uh, to the boat ramp, but uh, stopping for gas or stopping at the convenience store, the bait store. And those uh, retail outlets in small communities are the same outlets that, you know, local residents rely on every day for their essential needs. And so they really do represent points of potential transmission. And so if we bring supplies with us and, uh, you know, don't need to get gas because we're only going as, as far as we can go and return on a simple tank of gas, we'll minimize that. I understand the sale of fishing licenses is up this year. Yeah, fishing license sales are up this year, um, more than 40% from this time last year. And uh, so, you know, we're every year we urge people to buy their licenses early, and it, it seems that people are, are doing that. You know, in Minnesota, we're glad to offer both online and phone sales, and so people can get their fishing license without ever leaving home. And the other thing that I think is, is you know, really important for people to know is that that investment of the fishing license uh, is really an investment in our state's fishing resources, the fish habitat, uh, as well as those quality uh, fishing opportunities not only for this year, um, but for future generations. So even if you don't have the same fishing experience that you have this opener, you really are making that investment for this season and seasons next time. Commissioner Stroman, let's talk a little bit about water safety. Absolutely. Those those are messages that are the same every year, and it's certainly no different uh, this year, even in the pandemic. Everyone uh, fishing on a boat or just out boating should wear their life jacket. Children fishing from shore on piers also should wear life jackets. Um, it is still cold water season, and wearing a life jacket really is the best way to ensure that an unexpected fall 
cold water doesn't turn tragic. Similarly, you know, all anglers play a, a really important role in preventing the spread of aquatic invasive species. And so whether um, folks see an AIS inspector or an enforcement officer present, it's really important that every time your boat comes out of the water, boaters should clean uh, aquatic plants and debris from the watercraft drain the lake or river water, and dispose of any unwanted bait in the trash. And any major regulation changes this year, Commissioner? No, we don't have any um, regulation changes to the to the fishing seasons as a result of COVID-19. People should refer to the 2020 fishing regulations booklet, um, which uh, can be found online. Um, and uh, But, you know, obviously there are uh, guidelines around the social distancing in boats. So those would include voting only with people from your same household and making sure that you maintain at least a six-foot distance from anyone outside your immediate household, uh, whether that's on the water and, and making sure that boats are at least six feet apart or whether that's as you're launching or um, returning to shore, particularly at the, at the boat ramp, the dock. It's going to be important to watch that distance. Before we wrap it up, uh, any final comments today? You know, I think one thing um, I've been reminding folks is there's there's a lot of tradition around the Minnesota fishing opener, and one of those traditions is teaching the next generation. And this year we have the opportunity to not only teach the next generation some of the fishing lessons uh, that we normally talk about, but also the opportunity to teach uh, the next generation about the importance of caring for our fellow Minnesotans by fishing close to home. Thanks again to my guest, DNR Commissioner Sarah Strowman. Back to you, Scott, and happy fishing. Thank you, Tasha. Dropping a line in the water sounds pretty relaxing right about now. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As the Tiger King craze begins to wane, reporter J.W. Cox spoke with the founder of a wildcat rescue operation in Minnesota to find out what progress is being made in the fight to keep big cats out of the hands of private owners and breeders. Scott, when Netflix first introduced the world to Tiger King, pulling the curtain back on a seedy underworld of big cat exploitation, one person who was not shocked at what she saw Tammy Thies, founder of the Wildcat Sanctuary in Sandstone, Minnesota. It felt like it was just a rerun for us because we, we, those dealers and breeders have been on our radar for a long time and um, have been producing so many surplus cubs that are going in for exploitation and other roadside zoos and, and passing away. And it's what we've been doing for years, trying to shut down cub petting and breeding and um these people are a lot like that. They're involved in a lot more than animal breeding and animal trafficking. So we're glad it opened the conversation. We really wish it would go a little step further and tell people what not to do more explicitly and how to end the cub petting and the overpopulation of captive tigers in private hands in the U.S., but watching it, another day in the life of our work. For these, their mission to end private ownership of big cats was crystallized by a footnote at the very end of the series that she hopes viewers will take note of. We have almost double the tigers in private hands in the U.S. in the wild. That is a crazy number. And you have to remember, these are outside your accredited zoo system. So when you look at Minnesota Zoo and Como Zoo, those are good accredited facilities that are doing conservation breeding. 
not these backyard breeders that you see like puppy mills doing. And it is not conservation when you're just breeding and inbreeding and crossbreeding species for cub petting opportunities and life in a 10 by 10 cage. So I really hope people got out of it that when they go to a county fair or an auto show and somebody puts a tiger cub in their face and wants $25 for this wonderful picture that's going to help conservation, that they think twice and they know that that is not truthful and that is exploitation of that cat and it's sentencing that cat in captivity. Thies says the difference in what they are doing as an accredited sanctuary has less to do with being animal lovers and more to do with being animal advocates. Here's the reality is, yes, we love the animals we rescue, but we don't want to have to do the work we're doing. We treat our animals as tigers and lions and cougars. We're not treating them as pets or props. And, you know, yes, we're a nonprofit, so we do accept donations, but we're not profiting off of them. We're not open to the public. Um, Our staff has biology and related degrees and years and years of experience in animal behavior. We have veterinarians on site. We have free roaming habitats for the cats. You know, we have insurance policies trained in firearms and chemical mobilization. Um, We're not like a sideshow rodeo like you saw um, from the bad guys in the documentary. Thies says the biggest tool to stop the bad actors in the world of big cats dry up the demand. We need people to stop wanting exotic animals as pets. The internet has made selfies and cub petting so sensationalized and really it's a very selfish act that we need to end because we are picking up tigers and we've done it in Minnesota from people's front porch. Um, Just last year there was two tigers kept south of the Twin Cities as pets and we had to get authorities involved before they were over a year old because we were worried about what was going to happen to the kids in that house that had when their family had a pet tiger. So um, it's a real, real thing, and we really do it differently at the sanctuary, and we welcome people to visit our Facebook page, um, you know, our webpage at wildcatsanctuary.org, because we are not open to the public. We are a rescue for the animals. Uh, We have good zoos in our state. We don't need to do that service, and it allows us to really rehab and make these animals come to life of what they were when they've been living in a dark barren cage before we got them. Thies says she wishes the producers of the show had focused more on the cats and less on the sensationalized drama surrounding the human characters, but she does appreciate it that the series was a way to start a conversation about our treatment of big cats as a society. Sometimes you just have to look back and go, whatever the means were to get here, it is worth it, and that's where we're finally seeing the light. The first week was a little rough when it was all about um, selling merchandise for Joe Exotic and, you know, who's in prison for trafficking and murder for hire and uh, killing endangered species. But now the conversation is shifting. And I think people, after getting the entertainment value, hopefully are getting the message. We also know people are bored in their house and we want to give some alternatives to Tiger King. So if you go to our YouTube page, Wildcat Sanctuary or Facebook Wildcat Sanctuary, we have videos, we have educational um, videos and PowerPoints for you to work with kids on so your kids can learn about it. And it's all done in a very um, nice educational way. There's nothing graphic, so it's very family friendly. All of this has to do with how we're connected to the environment and animals and how we need to really treat all of that in a better light. And the tiger crisis is a good example of just a small component of that. So yes, if we can make a dent in the tiger crisis and do better things for the environment and wildlife altogether, I think we're going to be a much better human race as well. 
Learn more about Minnesota's own refuge for big cats at wildcatsanctuary.org. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Hi, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules, wash your hands, cover your cough, don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat, they actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Earlier this week, the University of Minnesota promoted pitching coach Pipper Ritter to be the new head softball coach for the Golden Gophers. Ritter takes over for Duluth native Jamie Trashell, who left last week to take the head coaching job at Mississippi. Ritter pitched for the Gophers from 2001 through 2004, became a full-time assistant in 2008, and helped build the program into a national power. The Farmington, New Mexico native says she has been with the program for nearly 20 years and is here to stay and will not look for any other head coaching job. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with the new Gopher head softball coach, who is understandably pumped up. I'm very excited. Um, I, I, For me, it doesn't change a lot. You know, this is my... This is where my heart's been. This is what I've done. You know, recruiting student athletes to the University of Minnesota is what I've always done. So for me, although it's a different role, it doesn't change it a ton. I'm very excited to like get to keep my niche in it and get to put, you know, my, you know, what I want this program and where I see this program to go. So that is what excites me. How did this uh, all unfold here over the past couple of days uh, once Coach Traxel chose to to move on to Old Miss? The job was open. Um, obviously, Mark Coyle was in uh, charge of the search, and um, it was uh, finally released here over the weekend that you uh, were the head coach. Yes. Well, um, first, you know, I've been through these transitions, so the, first, the most important thing is a student-athlete. So when Jamie uh, made her decision to leave and go to Old Miss, you know, I, I just got the student athletes together and kind of made sure that they were okay and, you know, how we were going to move forward through this. Um, regardless of who was going to be the head coach, it was kind of about keeping them together and, um, you know, making sure that, you know, everyone, everyone's on board with uh, Maroon and Gold. So that was my, that was, that was most important to me, no matter what. And then, you know, having a conversation with uh, Mark Coyle, just kind of letting him know that I'm, I'm interested in the head coaching job. And he told me that there's going to be a national search. And then I told him that I would apply and um, look, look, looked forward to um, showing him what I could do as a head coach. You mentioned the players uh, and keeping them all on board. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it was a bit of a unique challenge this time around compared to the other couple of times in that uh, when you gather them together, it's on a computer screen and not in the locker room or in a, in a meeting room at, uh, at the Beerman facility. Well, it's not, it, it's actually, it's, it was a lot better. It was a lot easier this time. So they're used to Zoom meetings. We've had weekly Zoom meetings. Um, sometimes it's two times a week. So um, all the other transitions happen this summer and we're spread out. We're kind of all over the place. And 
and not all together. Some people, it might be at work. Some people might be doing some other things, but um, just with COVID and kind of everyone's a little bit more neutralized in the sense of they can get on their phone and they can get it. It was actually a lot easier to communicate and a lot easier to bring them together and a a lot easier for them to have um, outside communications as one. So this time was a little, I felt went smooth, not just because I'm the head coach, but because I think they're ready and they're prepared. And um, a lot of them led in really, I was proud of a lot of them and, and the leadership roles that they took during this. Yeah. And what was their reaction? Um, I would guess they liked the idea of someone they know that they uh, are comfortable with, that they've been around, that they've seen have success is now the head coach here. What was their reaction? You know, they never saw me leaving. Um, I think through all these transitions, um, I don't think they ever thought that I was going to go anywhere. So yes, as they left, as they lost a head coach, even through the transition, and I told them just to hang on there and, you know, they're working to hire the next head coach at Minnesota softball. They never saw I was leaving. So I think when, when we had the zoom meeting and I came on and I was announced as their next head coach, I think a lot of them were excited. I think there was some comfort there. And then as always, they wanted to know how we were going to move forward. And I told them, you know, there's a lot of things that they know about me and they know how my reaction to, to things, but things will change as well. And so I told them that, you know, I'm excited about the staff that I'm putting together and um, you know, what my future, what the future looks like for Minnesota softball. Yeah, and that is the next question uh, going from the role as an assistant where sometimes, you know, and I, I don't know how it was, you know, how the relationship with players are, but it, it may change if all of a sudden you become the head coach. And so how may that change? And then how might just the general intricacies of the program change? You know, obviously, um, you I would guess you're taking ideas from each one of the coaches you uh, played for and coached under and coached with. You know, I – my, my role is not going to change. Pitching is the heartbeat of, um, of the game. You wouldn't, you know, the circle is very, very important. So, and, you know, I, I've had some success coaching the pitching role. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm not leaving that role at all. I think it's just a matter of like kind of spreading myself out and making sure I have a, a heart pulse on, everything everything that we do the team does i'm always involved in uh, hitting just whether they're throwing live or anything like that but now i'm just going to make sure that i'm kind of around a little bit more with the defense um that's a that's a really good time that the pitchers do all their practices so i'll have to be creative in that but i'm i'm confident in the sat the staff that i'm getting and you know part of part of hiring a staff is you know you hire the people that do that are really good at their jobs and um, do something better than you do so um you know, I will find someone who's definitely def- uh, hitting-minded and um, can run a good defense. From a logistical standpoint, let's say during game time, for example, obviously you'll be deciding in the fifth inning if um, a pitcher stays in, uh, maybe if it's a rise ball here on the outside corner, all of those things. Um, will you also then be deciding we need a pinch runner here, we need a pinch hit here, we need to steal here, we need to bunt here? Uh, will you be coaching third base? I'm sure all those things are, are things to be considered. Um, yeah, so I, I can tell you I won't be coaching third base. There's a lot of conversations that go on between a pitching coach and the pitchers um, just in between games, and it is a little rushed if I had to go to third base. So, you know, where, whereas third base is very important, we'll have conversations, the assistant coaches and I, and we'll discuss what we need and you know, you know, are we hitting this pitcher? Do we need to maybe make some short game adjustments? Do we need to squeeze if if this is happening or do we just need to keep um, trusting our bats? So we'll have those conversations in between before, you know, before we break and um, they go to their uh, the third base coach goes to third base. But um, 
I really think that the pitching and the pitch calling is really important to the game, and I think if you spread yourself too thin, you might not do both very well. That's new Gopher softball coach Pipper Ritter with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening. Please stay safe and healthy. Tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.